Good morning. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we're finishing Matthew chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to take a pause from Matthew after this Sunday and uh, launch out into our subject study series of what is the church. Uh, So it's a good place to end at the end of a chapter, end of a section. And next week we'll start our, our series on what is the church, addressing some fundamental foundational questions about what the church is and just give you a little bit of a preview next week we want to ask the question what is the gospel Uh, I think it's always good for us to take a a Sunday and and review what the gospel is and what it's not and why that matters especially as we talk about the nature of the church and why the church exists and what the church is to do Uh, but this week we're going to finish out Matthew we're going to look at verses 41 through 42 And the word of the Lord says, this is Jesus finishing this section of teaching. He says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Let's pray together. Father, open our hearts. Holy Spirit, apply your word in the way that you do. And may this time be a time where we see Christ and his glory and his goodness for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you remember, I think it still exists, but there is a store in Wendell called Mortex. Anybody remember Mortex? You know Mortex? Okay, yeah. So there was a period in my life where pretty much all my clothes came from Mortex. Uh, All the t-shirts I had, we would go and they would have this box where you could buy t-shirts for like 99 cent a piece, right? I'm seeing a lot of heads nodding, so I'm not the only one. And uh, the thing was, though, that they had some, some shirts in there of schools I had never heard of, ever in my life. And what I found was I had to stop wearing them because it got a little annoying because I would go somewhere and somebody would come up to me and they would say, Hey! And they would say, Did you graduate from? And I said, No. And it's just kind of awkward. And so it kept happening. And the, the breaking point was when we were at Bush Gardens, and I was in the bathroom. Now, they tell you in preaching class, don't use bathroom humor. That's not what this is. But, but I was in the bathroom. I came out, and I was going to wash. I washed my hands, and I turned around, and I had this shirt that I had worn so many times. And this guy, he goes, hey, mongooses. And I thought, do I know you? Do, uh, like, am I, did I, like, split into an alternate reality where I went to... And then I, then I realized, looked down at my shirt, and I was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, did you? And I said, no. I said, and then I thought, I finally asked, I said, wait a minute. Let me ask this guy, where is this school? <laughs> he said, it's in Michigan. I thought, okay. So I, then I explained to him, like, a, I mean, it was down to a speech now. I was like, I bought this shirt. It was 99 cents. That's why I have it, because I'm cheap. And... <laughs> but there's something about, like, a team or a jersey 
that when we see it, our eyes are immediately drawn to it, right? We, we identify. We, we may have no other idea about a person, whether we like them or not, but if we see them wearing our team colors, we might say, now there's somebody I could get along with, right? And that was made all the more uh, apparent to me when we, we were living in Texas or for many years. And I remember one time we were at a restaurant and we saw somewhere, uh, somebody wearing an NC State Wolfpack uh, hat. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And we went up and we talked to him. It was like, hey, I'm from North Carolina. Are you from North Carolina? And they were from North Carolina. It was like this bonding moment. And there's something about a jersey, about a t-shirt, about rooting for the same team that that provides a sense of, of fellowship and camaraderie and, and, and uh, connection. And we've been talking about persecution. And if we want to be honest, it's been kind of, you know, not happy. I mean, we, we've been talking about persecution being real. And that, that your family will turn against you. And that you will endure suffering for the sake of Jesus. But all of that to say that there is a bright spot and there are some good things that come out of going out into the world, partnering with people to share the gospel and to take it to where it hasn't been preached recently or ever. And so when we look at this text, we see that Jesus closes out his sermon on the And it's not the Sermon on the Mount, it's another sermon section. But he closes it out by saying that, yes, people will betray you. Yes, it'll be hard. Yes, sir. But there will also be people... When you go out in my name, and because you go out in my name, it'll be like you're wearing a jersey that says, I belong to Jesus. And you will find that there are people all around who will welcome you. So as much as we talk about the hard stuff of, uh, of persecution, there is also some blessings that come with not necessarily persecution, because remember, this is in the context of going out. Remember how it started in chapter 10? He sends them out, right? So as you go, verse 7, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. So this is in the context of not just persecution, but as we seek to obey the Great Commission and take the gospel out, we will find that there will be, there will be people who are receptive, those who are willing to partner with us. Okay, And so that's how we approach this text. And we see that there are several blessings that come with living this commission lifestyle or this uh, going out and telling people. Look at verse 40. He says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. So that's the connection right there. If you want to understand what makes all of this worth it is because when we do this, we are serving the Lord Jesus. Why go out? Why endure all of this? Why go through all this and be willing to go through all of this? And it really comes down to this. He sends us. And when we go, we go on his behalf. We are representatives and ambassadors for Christ. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. Why? Because you, when you go are going on my behalf, in my name. It's as if you're wearing my name badge, my jersey. The one who welcomes me, or welcomes, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, right? But then it goes even further, the relationship. He says, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. And who sent Jesus? 
the Father, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, right? God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came. He was sent. And so it's not just about this idea of that we're dealing with persecution, but it's that what we're doing, whether persecution happens or not, is when we go out, we are representatives of Christ. We are his emissaries. And so the one who welcomes us welcomes him. And so here, here's what I want you to understand. We've been talking about persecution, and we've been talking about going out and how that applies to you. But here's the thing I want you to know. This can, this is, and this is true of a lot of things. If you want, you know, there's, there's grandfather, if there's any, I'm not a grandfather, but if I can give you grandfatherly advice types of, this whole, all of this is not about you. Amen. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. If we go and we're rejected, they're not just rejecting us, they're rejecting him. If we go and they welcome us, they're not just welcoming us, they're welcoming him. And so however we are treated, whatever we encounter, it can serve either one of two ways. If we're persecuted, we understand that they're not just treating us that way, they're treating Jesus that way. You remember what Paul hears, right? In Acts chapter 9, when he's knocked off and he hears a voice, and what does the voice say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my children? No, what does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? Right? And so it's a rejection of Jesus. And I find a comfort in that. But let's be honest, okay? There is a comfort in that, 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 that when, I, when I share Jesus and I'm rejected, it's not that they're rejecting me, you know, that they think I'm a, a terrible person or, well, maybe. But, but it's more about that they're rejecting Christ. But that also means there is a sense in which we cannot, there, there comes a point, you know, we can be, we can try to be good communicators, we can try to speak well and articulate well, answer questions. But there comes a point where it's not just about how well an argument you make or, or how you say it or the tone you use. It just boils down to their rejecting Christ. And when they're rejecting us, they're rejecting him. And so that also means we need to be willing to be rejected. It seems like sometimes when we talk about sharing, we're trying to find a middle ground between being us being accepted. Like, I want to be accepted as Jason, but you can reject Jesus, but will you please still accept me? And Jesus says that connection, that's not how it works. Because if they welcome you, they welcome me. Notice it's so close that there's no real place to, to kind of insert this space where where people will, will tolerate us and, and endure us and be fine and, and reject Jesus. I mean, they might, but there will ultimately come that point, perhaps, where the rejection of Jesus leads to our own rejection. And it's here that I think maybe, if we're being honest, that's what we're really afraid of. We don't care if they reject Jesus. 
Oh, but it starts to hurt when they reject us. It starts to make us wonder, is it worth it? The flip side is, when they welcome us, they welcome him. And you say, why is that such a blessing? Why does that, you know, does that fire you up about it? Because, number one, you know what often happens is, you will find, you will, remember, he's telling them to go out. You're going to these towns. You don't know what you're going to encounter. And yet, he says, if they welcome you, they welcome me. Now, follow the logic here. That means that God has gone ahead of them, right? That God has gone ahead and this person has been so uh, influenced and moved by God that when these representatives of Jesus show up, that they welcome them. And isn't that the hope of every time we share the gospel? The, the, the hope we have when we share the gospel is not that, that we communicate it in such a way that they're just overwhelmed by, by our articulation and they just say, well, it must be true, right? No, our hope is that God is doing a work in their heart, that God is preparing them, that God has gone before us, and to draw people to himself, to save people, to bring people to that point where they welcome in Jesus' workers. And so the reason this is such a beautiful picture and it's an encouragement is because we will often find that God has been at work behind the scenes and we didn't even realize it. One example of this is at, uh, two churches ago, I was a missions and discipleship pastor. And we were, were leading a, uh, uh, our church to engage a people group in East Asia. Uh, it was a large people group that nobody had really uh, at that time thought that they were, had been reached. So we went over there. We, we went to the, the town and the county where the people were. We started formulating a plan and we communicated with the IMB and they, they said, uh, we don't know how this people group got overlooked, but uh, because our church committed to reaching them, that people group shot up to the top of the IMB's priority list. They sent out missionaries about a year later. They went to language school. They were there in contact with them. I have a conversation with the husband. And he said, you know, we thought there was nobody here working among these people. But we ran into a Korean missionary. And he's been running businesses here for 18 years. Working with churches, sharing the gospel, and reaching people. So all the time, it's like, yeah, we're, we're the great heroes. We're storming the dark. You know, we're, we're the, the great hope that we're, we're taking the... And that Korean pastor, that Korean businessman has just been plugging away in obscurity, faithfully serving God, leading people to faith in Christ. And he welcomed the IMB missionaries. And here's what's cool. In the country that, that they were going to work in, it was, it's a really hard country to work in. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of things. The Korean missionary had a notebook of how to set up a business, how to get licenses and everything. And he just says, here you go. Here's everything you need to know to get started. He welcomed people sent on behalf of Jesus as if they were Jesus. And in doing so, he welcomed Jesus. It is a beautiful thing. When we go out and when we're sharing, we never know how God is going to surprise us and astound us with how he's been at work apart from us. So that's the general principle in verse 
40, that, that there is a blessing that comes with serving the Lord in this way. And then he continues, Jesus does, and he, he starts talking about prophets and righteous people and little ones. And we have to make sense of what's going on here. Okay, And so what I think Jesus is doing is when he's talking about prophets, he's talking about the, not a, a higher class of people. But when he's talking, when he says, well, let's back up. In verse 40, when he says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, he's talking to the 12. That's who he sent out, right? That's who this is originally addressed to. So when the 12 go out, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. So that's the 12. And then so that's the narrow focus. And then it zooms out a little bit and he says, and anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Now, a lot of commentators and scholars will say that Jesus is talking about different uh, groups of people here, uh, and, but you get into all sorts of trouble, and I'll just be honest, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the way I understand it is Jesus is just using an illustration, a connection between, so it's not necessarily like, well, there's actually prophets over there, and then there's righteous people over there, because notice he says the same thing two different ways, right? He says, if anyone welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet, he will receive what? A prophet's reward. There's a connection there. If you receive the prophet because he's a prophet, you receive the reward. Likewise, what does he say? And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And so all I think Jesus is doing is teaching a, a basic principle of this connection of what it means to serve Jesus and to receive the reward of serving Jesus, and that they are connected, okay? Because then you get to verse 42, and it talks about little ones. And I think the little ones here is a reference to, you started with the 12, right? These are the, the pillars in verse 40. I think the little ones could easily be a reference to essentially everyday followers of Jesus, Right? What does the word Christian mean? The word Christian means Christ ones. Literally, it means little Christ. Right? And so I think he starts out with the 12, but then he also says at the very end that when it comes to blessing other believers, partnering with them, it says, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to these little ones because he is a disciple, truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. And so there are a couple applications I think we can make of this text. And I just want to draw those out very briefly. Number one, we've made a few on the way. But number one, Jesus teaches the value of cooperation. Jesus teaches the value of cooperation. There's two things we would say under here. Number one, the Great Commission, this, this task of taking the gospel, is not... Oftentimes we think of the Great Commission as a pie that's just sliced out to different churches. You get this part of the Great Commission, you get that part of the Great Commission, and we just kind of divvy it up, right? Which, if you're like me and you don't like sharing pie, that illustration makes no sense. Right? The Great Commission in its totality is given to every church. The Great Commission is given to Poplar Spring, all of it. Go, make disciples baptizing, teaching, right? It's given to every church. However, 
that does not mean that every church has to go at it alone. You see here that there are those who are welcoming. There are those that are giving water. There are those that are partnering and willing to, to serve those who are going out. And so I think Jesus is here at least partly teaching the blessing of cooperation. Now, as a, as a Southern Baptist church, you may not know this, but we are a Southern Baptist church. And one of the key uh, factors, the key identity marks of Southern Baptists is that we cooperate together with other Southern Baptist churches for the sake of world evangelism. And we do that through sending people from our church who are affirmed by our church, uh, we would investigate their calling and, and make sure that, that we do believe that God's calling them to the nations. And then, and then they go through the International Mission Board, which is an organization that the Southern Baptist Convention uh, uses to train and send out missionaries. And one of the things that is beautiful about how Southern Baptists cooperate is called the cooperative program. And essentially what that is is a portion of our money goes to sending missionaries overseas. It's, it's parceled out. So if you think of, you give $100, a majority of that goes to, uh, a, a minority of that goes to the state, the majority goes to the national convention. The majority of the national convention money goes to the International Mission Board. The Southern Baptists have prioritized our giving that way so that ma the majority of each step is directed towards international missions. And here's where it gets even better. I don't know if you know this, but Southern Baptist missionaries who go with the IMB are not required to raise their own support. Now, I, that's not a slam on any missions organizations that, that require that or do that. I, I don't really think it's, it's a one's biblical, one's not biblical. But what it does mean is that we're able to get people to the field more quickly. They're not going around touring churches, uh, doing speeches, setting up tables, and, and there is a benefit to that. But by and large, when we give, when you tithe, right? Think about this. When you tithe, your money is going to that because you are a part of a Southern Baptist church. But cooperation is a, an asset and a value. It is something that we can truly work towards. And so you know we have a team in Baltimore right now. They're working with a church there. We're partnering with that church to reach people with the gospel. We're partnering with churches in Uganda to train pastors and to do evangelism there when we go there in January. And we want to continue to look for ways to cooperate with other churches to fulfill the Great Commission. So first of all, I think this connection between us and Jesus and other believers teaches us the, the value of cooperation. Secondly, I think what Jesus is teaching here is that we need to have our priorities straight. We need to have our priorities straight. What do I mean by that? Notice, it's all about putting Jesus first. In verse 40, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Right? Right? And then in verse 42, whoever gives a cold water to these little ones because he is a disciple. Well, who is a disciple? Someone who's following Jesus, right? So you have this beautiful picture of disciples going 
and they're putting Christ first. And then they're these other people are receiving the disciples because they're putting Christ first. And so what I think we need to understand as this section closes on going and, and, and encountering persecution and everything is there is something more important than whether we expect persecution or not. There's something more important than family. There's something more important than comfort. There's something more important than all of those things. And it's Christ. What are we in Him? Who are we in Him? And so there's a value in cooperation, but there's also the sense in which each, each party in this text has committed to putting Christ first. And then there's a third application I want us to make. And that is to realize where we fail miserably. Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. There's an openness there. There's, there's a willingness there. But the reality is that every single one of us, at some point in our lives, have refused, rebelled, and rejected against. We've rebelled against and rejected being identified with God. That's what sin is. Sin is the willful choice to say, I choose this over and against God. I want this more than God. Not only that, we have all at some point rejected Jesus. We've rejected those who were sent in his name. And so if, we, if it talks about welcoming Jesus and, and receiving a reward and welcoming the, those who sent him, at the very least, we, we reject the apostles, right? If, if we didn't believe the scriptures... I don't know about you, but I was not converted the first time someone shared the gospel with me. I rejected it, and I rejected them, and I made fun of them, and I'd laugh behind their back and all those things. So what do we do with this text that talks about welcoming Jesus and, and being open to him and receiving him? Well, at the very least, we have to start by acknowledging that we fall way short of giving Jesus and having given Jesus the place that he deserves. And so what's our hope? Our hope is not that we be more welcoming or that you know, we start from uh, this idea that, okay, I realize I've messed up now, i got to fix it. No, you can't. The Bible says that because of our sin, because we rebel against Jesus and God and God's word, we're sinners and sinners are Dead in their sin. We, we have no hope. We cannot, we cannot dig ourselves out of the grave. We need someone to make us alive. We need, we need the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to make us new, to give us new hearts. Ones that will turn to Christ and trust Him for salvation. And so, when we start there, I think that's when we begin to see why someone would be willing to go through all of this in the first place. When you understand that you are dead 
or you, if you're a Christian, that you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, that you deserve the wrath of God and that Christ took that for you. And on the cross, he bore the wrath that you deserve. And then he saved you. He saved his people on the cross. Jesus didn't make you savable. He didn't just make it so that you could get to neutral and then decide for yourself based on some other extenuating circumstances. No, on the cross, Jesus saved his people who had rebelled against him and who had rejected him. Such that now when the Holy Spirit does that work in your life and in your heart, you now welcome him. And when you welcome him, you welcome him who sent him. And so maybe that's where we need to start. We need to start there and work our way up. Maybe we need to remember what it is that God has done for us in Christ in saving us and forgiving our sins, making us his son or daughter. And then realize now that we look out that there are other sons and daughters and say, hey, I see that jersey that you have. We're a part of the same family. Can we work together? Can we go and, and partner to get the gospel to people who need to hear? And then go and know that, that God is going to go before us. And that there are going to be people who, who will welcome us. There will be people of, of peace who welcome us who are sent. You see, we started going this way, but now we need to go this way. Remember what Christ has done for you. And then let that inform how you respond to partnership, to going, and to being willing to endure persecution for the sake of wearing Christ's jersey. Let's pray together. Father, it is a, a privilege and uh, an honor when we think of being sent out in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, if we're honest, for some of us, we, we hide our jersey because we, we put on other things over it, other identities, things that we, we'd rather be known for. Um, but Lord, help us to be, to be bold and unafraid, not so that we earn your approval and not so that we're checking a box off, but because we love our jersey. We love the fact that we are in Christ. We love the fact that we've been reconciled to God through you, Jesus. And then what that means for opening up to us a family and teammates with whom we can partner. And Lord, we know we can't partner with all of them because we disagree on fundamental things, but but there are many that we can partner with. But then also, what a privilege to think that we're representatives and that we're, we're emissaries and ambassadors for Christ. That's what Paul says. We are ambassadors for Christ, making our appeal for people to be reconciled, to turn in faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, if, if we're believers, the question is not so much whether we are ambassadors, 
question is, what message are we declaring as ambassadors? Lord, for each person here, help them to see the ways in which they can partake and see you work in taking the gospel around the corner and around the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.